Welcome to the 124th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk in depth about college basketball action and take a quick look at the NCAA tournament bubble as it stands today. Let's jump right in with a look back at college basketball action from last week, starting with the upsets, Patrick. Florida beat number two Auburn 63-62. to uh, Weird end to this game as instead of having, you know, Jabari Smith or... Well, really, anybody on their team, or even Katie Johnson, who's a big energy guy for Auburn, touched the ball. Uh, by the way, after some great defense, including a play that should have won the game for Auburn. Well, not necessarily won the game, but gave them a chance to win the game. Uh, Jabari Smith deflecting an inbounds pass and getting it for Auburn. Uh, the last play of the game was Wendell Green in a pick-and-roll with Walker Kessler with no one else involved in the play. And he tried to throw it inside to Kessler because he went for his shot and he couldn't get it off, and he just... Threw it awkwardly off of Kessler's hands to end the game, so it was not a great play. Jabari Smith did not touch the ball. He didn't even look ready to shoot, nor did Katie Johnson. And uh, overall, don't really like how they ended that game, but it's their second loss of the season, or their third loss, I guess, at this point. Who, who cares? Uh, it, it's fine. They, they can handle a loss or two here and there. However, if they lose this weekend against Tennessee, then the uh, the title of the regular season SEC title is actually up in the air all of a sudden. Uh, but moving on from that, Iowa, after their home loss against Michigan, beat number 15 Ohio State 75-62 to on the road. Uh, a surprising win, I will say, probably one of the more surprising upsets. And by the way, this week did not have too many upsets, as we'll see in a second. But uh, this was definitely a big one, probably one of the biggest ones that could have happened this week. But let's move on to the third and, well, final upset of the week. Uh, Oregon beat number 12 UCLA 68-63. to I thought this might actually not be an upset, and I thought Vegas might have had Oregon favored there, but uh, they had UCLA favored, uh, even though Johnny Juzang wasn't playing in this game, which is really surprising that UCLA was still favored after Oregon took Arizona to the last possession of the game and frankly had an opportunity to tie the game and just have a really bad possession, similar to Auburn, uh, at the end of last weekend, which I think we'll talk about in a second. Actually, yeah, it's the next game we're going to talk about, so I kind of spoiled that one a little bit, uh, but... Look, Oregon had just come off of a really good game on the road. I don't know why people weren't expecting them to play well at home, especially without UCLA's best player on the floor. It's kind of weird to me. Uh, but at the same time, Oregon comes out with the win, and uh, that's what's important. Okay, let's move on to the close games from last week. Well, just as I discussed, number three, Arizona beat Oregon 84-81, even though Oregon had a chance to tie the game in the end. They were not able to which led to Oregon uh, suffering an unfortunate loss if they were able to take this win and combine that with the UCLA win that they got later in the week. Uh, they probably would be in the tournament field in most people's eyes because I test playing so well at the moment. You add two quad one wins to that and not only just quad one wins, very high level quad one wins. Not We're not talking about, oh, uh, this team is 72nd on the road like, I mean, well, I'll talk about it later, but Creighton has moved off the bubble in most people's minds with a win at St. John's because it's a quad one win, but St. John's is ranked 71st in the net, which means it's still a quad one win, and obviously the system says it's a quad one win, but not all quad one wins are created equal. Net number 71 on the road is not exactly the same as beating UCLA uh, or is obviously beating Arizona on the road, so, uh, you know, it's a little bit different, but uh, Oregon not able to get this win, so now we're still talking about them as clearly a bubble team and uh, one that probably has some work to do. And uh, they have their opportunities, but we'll get to that later. Number four, Kentucky beat number 25, Alabama, 90 to 81. 
Talked about this game on the last edition of the podcast because it was in my predictions. Uh, Kentucky shorthanded in this game. They continued to be shorthanded later in the week, but I'll get to that in a second. Number 11, Texas Tech beat number 20, Texas, 61-55. to Also talked about this on the last podcast, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Number 12, Illinois beat number 19, Michigan State, 79-74 to on the road in the Breslin Center. Also talked about that on the last podcast, so I'm not going to say anything about that game either. Let's move on to number 8, Providence who beat Butler 71-70 to in overtime. Uh, if you think Providence doesn't like close games, then you have not been watching college basketball. That's basically the only type of game they play in. Uh, but they're successful in it, so who cares? They end up winning a lot of those games, and uh, that is the reason why metrics don't like them and why maybe the eye test people don't like them very much. But in terms of overall record, I mean, look, there are not... I, I, I can't pick... You can talk about how they might not be as good as 21 and three in the Big East, uh, or 21 and three overall as a Big East team. That might not be the most accurate representation of who they are as a team. But the reality is, there are not many teams who could go 21 and three playing Providence's schedule. People don't even remember the fact that they also played Texas Tech and they played Wisconsin in non-conference, actually beating Wisconsin on the road in Texas Tech at a neutral site game. So Providence played good teams. They just didn't necessarily. Uh, I guess they didn't have the wow factor for those wins because early in the year they didn't look that great. Uh, and then, I mean, Texas Tech, I think, was unranked when Providence played them, but that does not mean they are with the same team that they are now. Uh, and overall, their resume doesn't look great because other than those wins, and by the way, even in those wins, they were close. Every game they play is close, including this game on the road against Butler, who is at the bottom of the Big East, uh, only above Georgetown, who hasn't won a game in 81 days, uh, and that's a different uh, discussion. But let's move on to number 14, Houston, who beat Wichita State 76-74 to in double overtime. Uh, this was a ridiculous game. I'm not even going to try to do a summary of it. You can go watch it yourself. Uh, overall, Sunday actually was a great day of basketball action, uh, and also a bad day for some other reasons that we'll get to later. Uh, but that Providence game was on Sunday. That Houston game was on Sunday. Number 17, USC beat Washington State. 62 to 60. This was on Sunday. And by the way, overall, of course, it's a good day for basketball because the All-Star game was on. So uh, a good day for the NBA too. But uh, look, Sunday was a great entertaining day of basketball if you watched all the way through. And uh, th this USC game was way too close for comfort. USC is kind of in this Providence situation where they don't really beat teams that are, that are uh, much worse than them or per perceived to be much worse than them by more than like five points. It's very, very odd. Uh, they need to be playing. The game should not be this close. And also, the one thing I will say is with Providence, the Big East is way better than the Pac-12 and the teams that they're playing, they're not, I mean, other than, I say this one, this game was a one-point game, but other than this game, most of Providence's quote-unquote close wins are just single-digit victories, but they're six or seven points. USC's victories have been really, really, really narrow margins. Uh, so, you can make the argument as to which one of them is better. I think actually, no, you can't. You, Providence is better than USC, but uh, USC and both and Providence are really hard to judge in relation to most other teams because of the fact that they are low loss teams, but they haven't really played the toughest schedules. They might have gotten lucky a little bit with the way they've drawn up their conference schedules. Maybe they haven't played their good teams yet, which is true for USC because I think they still play UCLA and Oregon once this year. There, there are a few teams like that, but these two are definitely the biggest examples of that. Uh, but moving on from USC and Providence, number 10, Baylor beat Oklahoma State 66-64 to in overtime. There were a lot of overtime games this week. Uh, this was not the only one. Uh, let's move on to another overtime game. And by the way, Baylor played great in this game, but 
Uh, you know, they're shorthanded and they need to figure out how to play without these guys. If they get into foul trouble with anybody with how many injuries they have, it's just not going to work out well for them. This was kind of an example of that uh, a little bit. But especially with Jeremy Sohan getting in some foul trouble in this game. But let's move on from that. Talk about number 22, Ohio State, who beat Indiana 80-69 to in overtime. I actually, it's really funny. I looked at the margin of this game and I didn't put it in close games for a second. I put it in other important matchups. And then I realized... It was an 11-point game, but it actually was an overtime game. Uh, Ohio State was dominating Indiana for a lot of this game. They were up by, I think, 12 or 13 as late as maybe five or six minutes left in the second half. Indiana made a really big comeback to actually tie the game. But once they got in overtime, it swung right back in the favor uh, of Ohio State, and they took a pretty big win at home, uh, which I don't think will end up quad one, but it will be a quality one nonetheless. Moving on from that... Number 21, UConn beat number 8, Villanova, 71-69. to That was UConn's first win against Villanova, believe it or not, since 2014. It has been that long since UConn has beaten Villanova. Uh, and look, UConn, I think, really has had a great year under the radar. People don't remember the fact that when Auburn was 20-1 and or whatever they were, UConn was the only team that had beaten Auburn up until that point in the battle for Atlantis and the Bahamas. And by the way, what gave Michigan State such a great resume was that they had that win over UConn, and it really looked like they were good because they won that tournament overall. Uh, But UConn did have the best win of the year for a while as the only team to beat Auburn. Although maybe you could argue Alabama's win over Gonzaga was also the best win. So there's arguments to be made. But UConn has great wins this year. They've had a great season overall. They'll be a four or five seed in this tournament, and I think they deserve it. I think they'll play like it when it comes to the tournament time. I think they're built well uh, to have a lot of success in the tournament. They have a lot of versatility. They have a lot of scoring. They have a lot of shooting, and they can really match up with with good centers, like guys from the Big Ten, like Trace Jackson Davis, Kofi Coburn, the list goes on, Hunter Dickinson, the list goes on and on, EJ Liddell. Uh, But they can also match up well with teams who are guard dominant because they have good guards themselves. So they can really match up pretty well with everybody. Uh, they might not be as great as everybody, and they might not have that one strength uh, other than Adama Sanogo, but they can really make a deep run, honestly. They could be one of those teams who comes out and surprises as a four-seed who takes out the one and maybe even makes it all the way to the Final Four. I'm not saying they will, but again, I say it a lot, but depending on their matchups, they might make it that far. But let's move on from them to another team who I really believe has a lot of potential. Number 18, Arkansas beat Florida 82-74. to Arkansas, it it feels like Arkansas hasn't lost in maybe the entire year of 2022. I know that's not true, but they had a giant, they they started the season very, very well. Uh, They were ranked very high pre, not high preseason, but I think in the top 20, moved their way up to the high top 15. Uh, They blew out Oklahoma, I believe, and then they had some really, really, really bad losses that are still looking bad on their resume even now. But then since those losses and then a few bad losses in the in the SEC, they picked up a win at LSU on the road, and that, that really just kickstarted everything for them. Uh, they got that win over Tennessee last weekend that I believe we already talked about, uh, and that was a big win for them too. Actually, I don't know if we did talk about that game. Uh, no, I talked about it last week on the podcast, but uh, or last, last podcast episode, I should say. Uh, but they beat Tennessee 58-48, and then they have this win now over Florida on the road. They've played well on the road. They've played well at home. They were the team to upset Auburn and knock them off the number one overall seed level. So look, Arkansas has been playing very, very well recently. 
uh, and maybe it, conti- it can continue to that for them on Saturday when they play Kentucky. And speaking of Kentucky, number six Kentucky beat LSU 71-66. to Still no Ty Ty Washington, still no Xavier Wheeler for this game. Status unknown for tomorrow. Uh, I, I don't wish injury upon anybody, but I did pick against Kentucky, assuming that those two would be out. And if they're not out, then, well, uh, Kentucky will probably win that game. Uh, but, look, Arkansas has a legit chance of winning the SEC. So does Kentucky. Uh, and so, well, Kentucky a little bit less because they don't have the tiebreaker against Auburn, whereas I think Arkansas actually has, they're either 1-1 one one against them this year or 1-0 oh against them. So, uh, big for them. But, moving on from Kentucky, in that game, they played well-ish. I mean, I think it, I think they were there were two ties and two lead changes all game long, even though LSU really controlled the entire first half and Kentucky controlled the entire second half until about a minute and a half left when LSU really made it way too close for comfort uh, for Kentucky's sake. But let's move on from that. Number seven, Duke beat Virginia 65-61 in the last time that Coach K will be playing against Tony Bennett on the road at Virginia. Always been a tough matchup for Duke. Well, not maybe at the beginning of Coach K's career, but at least recently uh, with Tony Bennett at, at Virginia. That's been a tough matchup for them. Virginia has played everybody well in the ACC uh, as, as they ascended to one of the big contenders there and obviously won their national championship. But uh, recently, maybe not so much. Virginia did get them on the road, though, earlier this year, which is a resume-defining win for Virginia right now. And if they had won this game at home, they might be sitting in the tournament right now. But because they didn't, not quite Duke, some clutch shooting at the end of this game. Trevor Keels needed one free throw to go down. He got the free throw to go down. So uh, Duke ends up with a close win on the road against a pretty capable team in Virginia, although maybe not necessarily uh, not necessarily a high-level tournament team. I wouldn't see them as uh, one of the major upset candidates, but I feel like they're a team that deserves to make it even if they don't win, even if they don't make it, honestly. I feel like they're a team who should be in just on the eye test, maybe not their resume. But moving on from that, Number 11, Providence, speaking of Providence winning close games, beat Xavier 99-92 in triple overtime. This game took three hours and 38 minutes. It was one of the longest games I think I've ever watched. I think it was longer than every college football game this year other than Illinois and Penn State's, like, what, seven or nine overtime fiasco that happened earlier this year? That game was absolutely crazy. There were delays everywhere. They had issues with water falling from the ceiling, so they had to get guys to wipe it up. That was a 15-minute delay. That was with two and a half minutes left in the second half, so they had a 15-minute delay already there. And then the game got close, and or stayed close, and then went into overtime, and then you were thinking, oh my God, wow, we had this delay, and now we have overtime. Well, it's crazy. This game's going to be two-and-a-half-hour game, two-hour, 45-minute game. Uh, it'll be interesting. That's cool. And then the first overtime lasts till about three hours of game time. And then also it does not end there and it goes to double overtime. And then they have to review a bunch of stuff at the end of double overtime. And then they end up with a triple overtime game uh, with Providence taking the win. But by the way, again, Xavier's a good team. They're good enough to stay close with teams at Providence's level. I think they've, they've stayed close with Villanova earlier this year, twice, I think. They did, and here they are doing with Providence. It, that's what they do. They are good enough to do that. Uh, Xavier is on the border of really the ranked teams. They're probably a seven or an eight seed caliber team, uh, but overall they're good enough to stay close with teams like this. Number 13, Wisconsin beat Minnesota 68 to 67. Way too close again, but 
Uh, so actually, really similar to USC's win over Washington State, honestly. Uh, this one an even slimmer margin, but Wisconsin has really made a habit of winning ugly, and this was another game where that happened. But let's move on from that to a very, very surprising... Actually, I don't know why I didn't put this in upsets, because it's really not a close game at all. Uh, well, actually, it was pretty close. Uh, number 22, Ohio State beat number 15, Illinois, 86-83. to 83. Uh, If you want to see something funny, watch Brad Underwood's ejection in this game. It's like one of the most funny things I've ever seen. If you want to see a coach get angry, but not uh, get to the point of going physical with anybody, this is probably as good as you're going to get. He went about as crazy as you can go on the referees in this game. Uh, and honestly, deservedly so. The refs in this game were not very good. Uh, but that is the Big Ten, so uh, what do you expect? But uh, Illinois, after Kofi Coburn got out of the game due to a really bad call, which also resulted in Brad Underwood getting ejected for a second technical, uh, so they fouled that not only did they lose their coach, but they also fouled out their best player on the same play, I guess really the opposite way around, uh, that ended up really honestly sparking Illinois because for a while they were losing this game by a lot. Brad Underwood was subbing out starters like Alfonso Plummer to try to get in to try to get in Luke Goody to bring in some energy and I mean a substitution that they normally wouldn't run. It was really early in the in the second half, I think three and a half minutes ish into it when normally you probably sub out your starters at least two or three minutes after that. Uh, but he didn't like the energy they were bringing on the defensive end, so he tried to change the lineup up. That didn't help at all. Uh, they were still losing by 15 at the end of that stretch where they had that weird lineup out there. Then Kofi was out with foul trouble, and the lead maybe stayed at 12. But then once Brad Underwood got ejected and once Kofi Coburn was out of the game, in the most opposite way possible, or the most antithetical way possible to you thinking you lost your best player and your coach— Illinois actually went on a run to close the game, to make it close, uh, losing only by three. And by the way, there also should have been a foul call when Illinois was down by two, and it could have led to Trent Frazier hitting two free throws to send the game to overtime, or maybe even Ohio State could have made another shot. Who knows? But uh, overall, badly, poorly officiated game, uh, and I would say the technicals would and the technicals and who fouled out of the game would suggest who it was uh, officiated in favor of. But let's move on from that. Number sixteen USC beat triumphantly, I should say, beat three and twenty three Oregon State ninety four to ninety one in double overtime. This is the problem I have when people make the argument that Providence makes their games too close because they're winning in overtime. Uh, yes, they did it against Butler, but Butler is way better than Oregon State. Oregon State is probably the worst team in the Power Five, other than, and really in all major conferences, maybe other than Georgia or Nebraska, I think, are the only other teams you could argue. Even Arizona State has gotten hot recently and won four in a row. Uh, so overall, Oregon State is just a really bad loss to take, and USC is lucky they didn't take this loss. Obviously, went to double overtime for a reason, because the game was very close. That is a very bad game played by USC, even though they won. All right, well, let's move to talk about some other important matchups from last week. Number seven, Baylor beat TCU 72-62. TCU's games for the rest of the season are very important. This one doesn't improve Baylor's resume too much, especially because it was at home, but uh, overall still important for that bubble that we'll get to later. Number 15, Wisconsin beat Michigan 77-63. to The main importance was this was actually what happened after the game where uh, everybody already knows the story, so I'm not going to try to recount it, but... There was a physical altercation that ended in Jawan Howard. Well, Greg Gard got fined $10,000. Uh, Wisconsin guard Jacoby Neath got a one-game suspension. 
Michigan forwards Terrence Williams and Musa Diabate got one-game suspensions, and then Jawan Howard was suspended for the rest of the season by Michigan and the Big Ten jointly, I guess, because the Big Ten can actually only suspend someone for two games maximum and fine them for $10,000, and Jawan also got fined $40,000. But uh, that was really the most important thing in that game. Uh, honestly, there wasn't really that much important that, that many important things going on on the court. Uh, it, it, if Wisconsin gets lucky and Michigan wins some more games in the rest of the year and they end up in the top 30 of the net, then Wisconsin adds a quad one win in this game. If not, it's just another quad two win that looks like any regular win you would get in the Big Ten. Frankly, pretty much every game in the Big Ten is quad one, so this one actually would be a, a subpar game. But then you also have the fact that for Michigan, you take a quad one loss, but if you look at the way the committee was ranking those teams... I don't really think they care that much about quad one losses because there were a lot of high loss teams that were higher than teams that had maybe better wins and less losses that or not better wins and less losses, but more wins, less losses, but maybe not the qual- the same quality uh, of wins and probably the losses are still a little bit worse. So it's weird. We don't really know what the committee's approach is, obviously, because you can't just guess based on the top 16. But I think overall, both these teams... They're doing just fine, but uh, let's move on from that. Number five, Purdue beat Rutgers 84-72. to Speaking of Rutgers, we'll get to why Michigan was just fine afterwards, but Purdue gets the big win over Rutgers, who previously had won four in a row all against ranked teams, uh, and that was a great stretch that they were on, but had to come to an end at Purdue. Number nine, Texas Tech beat Oklahoma 66-42. to They demolished Oklahoma. This game probably sealed Oklahoma out of the NCAA tournament. I just don't see a 16-14 and 14 team getting in. They're going to have to go really, 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 really deep uh, in the NCAA, in the Big Ten, sorry, in the Big 12 tournament if they want to get into the tournament. Maybe if they get a, a few wins in the rest of the year, maybe if they end up 2-1 and one in the rest of the year, but I also don't see their talent level as being able to do that, so uh, it, it, we'll see what happens with them. But moving on from that, number 25, Iowa demolished Michigan State, 86-60. to 60. Uh, a big win, not necessarily unexpected because Iowa has won five of their last six now and Michigan State has lost five of their last six. Fun fact, Michigan is the team that broke both of those streaks as uh, Iowa's 5-1 in their last six. Their loss was to Michigan. Michigan State's 1-5 in their last six. Their win was over Michigan. But speaking of Michigan, Michigan with Juwan Howard suspended, Musa Diabate suspended, and Terrence Williams suspended beat Rutgers 71-62 to at home. A really big win for Michigan because, honestly, if the committee looks at this win, if there's ever a debate where it's coming down to Michigan and Rutgers, take the fact that Michigan never played Rutgers full strength this year a single time and realize that they went one and one in those games, one without a coach and one with two or three players uh, who were out with COVID. Although, I think the guys who were out with COVID, I don't think were as important necessarily as Musa Diabate was and also... As, as late in the year as it's gotten, Michigan has really settled into a very short rotation. So two forwards at this point in the year in the Big Ten is really a hard thing to deal with. But Michigan was able to deal with it, come out with the win. Credit to Phil Martelli, a longtime coach at St. Joe's, who uh, eh, Jawan can trust him in the, <laughs> at the helm. And I think any program would. There, any program would be lucky to have an associate head coach as good as Phil Martelli. But let's move on from that. Number one, Gonzaga beat San Francisco 89-73. to uh, this game was really close in the first half, and, you know, it's funny. I say that because Gonzaga made their first eight shots and shot 22 of 33 from the field in the first half, and yet, still, it was only, I think, a five- or six-point game at the half. Well, Gonzaga opened up the lead in the second half because San Francisco cooled down on the offensive end uh, on their own. But 
Uh, San Francisco is still a good team. They might make the tournament. They might not. We'll see. They really don't have the, the opportunities that other teams do. Actually, only one regular season game left for them. So it's really all down in that West Coast Conference tournament to who can beat who. If there's a BYU-St. Mary's matchup, that's going to be a really interesting one because the winner is probably looking at a very, very nervous selection Sunday where they might get in depending on how many bid stealers there are and how many how many teams from the bubble win in their tournaments and they'll be dealing with a lot of stuff that they're just going to have to really not do anything about because it's all out of their control. Uh, and that's the one problem for being in that type of a conference. And then the loser of that game will probably know that they're almost guaranteed to be out of the tournament unless, again, they get a lot of help. But let's move on from that. Number 19, Murray State, speaking of the bubble, beat Belmont 76-43. to This sealed Belmont's fate as a non-contender for at-large bid, uh, at least in my opinion. Belmont can still get in if they win the OVC tournament, but they're going to need some help from other teams because I think Murray State has now beaten them by a combined 50-point margin uh, at home and on the road. This one on senior night, but look, 76-43, to I don't really see them lose it. It's hard to beat a team three times in the in the same year, but when you dominate a team as much as Murray State did to Belmont this year, it's really hard for me to see Belmont coming back and somehow miraculously figuring out how they need to play to beat Murray State in the tournament. So they're going to have to get lucky and hope that they don't have to actually play Murray State, maybe Moorhead State to beat Murray State before they even get to them. Uh, and then they're going to have to win the conference tournament for them to get a bid. But don't worry, fans of uh, mid-major conferences and maybe even John Morant fans. Uh, Murray State's going to make the tournament regardless, and this win all but sealed that. Okay, that wraps up our look back at the action of the last weekend in the NCAA. Let's uh, now turn our attention to how that action may have impacted the NCAA tournament bubble, our bubble watch. Starting with the last four buys, we have Michigan, Rutgers, TCU, and North Carolina. With the last four in, we have San Francisco, Memphis, Indiana, and San Diego State. First four out, SMU, Oregon, BYU, and Dayton. And the next four out, St. Bonaventure, Virginia, VCU, and then Florida. Uh, Note about this, I'm still using Loyola Chicago as the auto bid for the the Missouri Valley Conference. If they're not the auto bid, they're the top team in the last four in above San Francisco, and that would move San Diego State to the first four out and Florida off my 18 bubble. All right, let's uh, then talk about the path forward for these 16 teams to see how it might impact the bubble in the future. Well, Michigan and Rutgers both have great opportunities being in the Big Ten. Indiana, too, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Michigan really, actually Michigan and Rutgers can really secure their way off the bubble and not even be a conversation of the last four buys. They could really move up, honestly, to a single-digit C if they win a lot of games in the rest of the season. Uh, Probably most likely to a 10 or a high 11 seed. But they have that opportunity. Michigan plays Illinois, Michigan State, Iowa, and Ohio State at the end of the season. Uh, all of those first three games are all at home. That Ohio State game to close the season is on the road. Uh, if they win out in those games, Michigan might actually be looking at a seven or an eight seed, honestly, heading into the conference tournament because their record in the Big Ten would be, I think, 13 and seven if they, yeah, it's 13 and seven if they win all those games. And their overall record, despite the 11 losses, I believe would end up as 20 and 11, which 20 wins is good enough to 20 wins with 13 wins in conference in the Big Ten is easily good enough to be at least a 7 or 8 seed. And frankly, if they didn't have a UCF loss on their resume, a Minnesota loss on their resume, uh, they might be looking at even a 4 or a 5 seed. But unfortunately, 
they do have those losses on their resume, so uh, that's not going to happen. But let's move on from Michigan. Rutgers plays Wisconsin, Penn State, and Indiana. Two wins, and they're in. That is the simple formula for me. Uh, Beating Wisconsin at home would not necessarily secure it, but would put them in a really, really hard to, uh, a position where it would be hard to move them out of. Uh, And then the one thing is if they did lose at home to Penn State and at Indiana, that might put a little bit, I I mean, that probably cancels out the win over Wisconsin that they might get. So overall, that would leave them in the last four buys, except for then you factor in bid stealers, and then you factor in the fact that these other teams that we're going to get to in a second also have opportunities to get big wins, including one of those teams that I just mentioned, which is Indiana, who, if Rutgers didn't beat, Indiana would have that head-to-head, and that would be important. Uh, but if they can even get Wisconsin at home and at Indiana, I don't really think it matters even if they take a bad loss to Penn State. That does not cancel it out, and all they need to do is move forward a little bit to really secure their spot, although they might be sweating a little bit on Selection Sunday, but I don't think they'll be. Uh, I don't think it'll be too stressful for them. But let's move on from that. You could say the same thing about TCU, although not in the Big Ten, obviously, in the Big 12. They play Texas Tech, then they play Kansas twice, once at home, once on the road, and then at West Virginia to close out the season. The difference, honestly, in my opinion with TCU is that when I see how Michigan and Rutgers have been playing recently, I really feel like they have opportunities to actually get the wins that are on their schedule. I don't see how Kansas is going to slip up either of those two matchups against TCU when they're fighting for a conference title. Same thing with Texas Tech. I just don't really see that happening. And West Virginia is looking to work their way back onto the bubble because they're not even close to the picture right now. They really need to win pretty much every single game for the rest of the season, which, again, I don't think they're very capable of, but this might be the one game that might be their redemption game to you know get some momentum going into the Big 12 tournament. They're going to need this win desperately. All these teams are going to be playing super hard. And I really don't think, other than West Virginia, that TCU has more talent than any of them uh, and is a better team than any of them. So uh, they might go 1-3 and in the stretch, and that might be enough to knock them out of the tournament. I just don't see how a 1-3 and end of the year can really keep you in. Even the Texas loss was damaging enough to move them down probably two or three spots. Let's move on to North Carolina. They have a trap game and a rivalry against North Carolina State on the road. But... That win would probably guarantee them a spot because they're only hard. Well, that is if they don't have a major slip up at home against Syracuse. But if they're able to do what I think they can do, I really feel like the NC State game is the only challenge. Other than, obviously, the giant game at the end of the year at Duke. Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, unless something happens and they have to move the ACC tournament or the... Really, I don't know what could happen. But honestly, at this point, you never know what's going to go on in this world. So, uh, who knows? But... Uh, for now, it should be K- Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It's going to be his last regular season game no matter what. Uh, and if they don't win that game, it's not going to be held against them much. All they really need to do is keep it, not even in single digits, but just within 10 or 11. And I honestly think no one's going to uh, really realize that it's necessarily a bad loss. I don't think anybody's going to call it that. So I think they'll be just fine as long as they keep it just a little bit close. Uh, and then if they win that game, they're really guaranteed a spot. Uh, they would easily move themselves above teams like DCU, Michigan, and Rutgers. Uh, but let's move on from that. San Francisco is really going to need other teams around them to lose because they only have one game left, which is tomorrow at University of San Diego. That's their last game before the WCC tournament. We will see who they play in that tournament, but uh, 
you know, Santa Clara's had a decent year, but even a loss to Santa Clara would probably knock them out of the tournament picture. They can't lose to one of the bad seeds like Portland, uh, San Diego themselves. Those losses would really, really damage them, and that would really end San Francisco's season right there because, honestly, I really think that the last four buys, the last half of the last four buys is really the place where you're not actually all, all too secure because bid stealers say there's three. I mean, you could say, you could say Loyola Chicago's bid can be stolen. You could say Murray state can be. Uh, and I feel like those are the only two big ones other than maybe one of these teams stealing Gonzaga's bid, but auto bid, but it doesn't really matter because most of them are on the bubble anyway. But if you consider those two, uh, bid stealers, which it almost happens every single NCAA, every single time the tournament's coming around. And then some crazy win that might happen. You know, Georgetown comes out of nowhere and wins the Big East again. Oregon State comes from the bottom of the Pac-12 to win the Pac-12 tournament again. Anything that anything that could happen like that, if there are two of those teams, now all of a sudden you're looking at the whole last four in becomes the whole first four out. So San Francisco right now really not secure, and all the teams below them have much greater opportunities to get big wins unless San Francisco is going to run into maybe a BYU who's also on the bubble uh, or a St. Mary's or a San Francisco or somehow maybe miraculously beat Gonzaga. I don't really think that's going to happen. But if they were to pull off a win against Gonzaga, first of all, they'd probably win the tournament. But if they didn't, even if they had beaten Gonzaga, I still feel like whoever they'd lose to is good enough to keep them in the tournament. But San Francisco really has a cut and dry scenario that's also somewhat complicated, as I just described. Uh, But let's move on from San Francisco now to Memphis who can get a decent win against Wichita State at home, and then a really big win against Houston, who they already beat on the road, but they can get that big win at home. Uh, Wichita State, I believe that game is... Actually, I don't know if it's on the road or at home. But uh, Memphis overall, not... And then they also have a game against Tulane, who has had a really good conference season, but overall not a great team. Metrics don't like them, and uh, it's not going to do them any good in the net. Uh, Memphis probably needs some help from other teams, and really... They don't even have to, I don't even think they have to win out. I just think they have to make it a very close loss to Houston, prove that they're the same, not necessarily the same caliber team as Houston, but a a team that's good enough to to beat them once, split the season series, and keep it close in both matchups. I think that would be enough, at least for their eye test, that even if they played decently in the American tournament, as long as they won a few games in that tournament, I think they would honestly be fine. But let's move on from Memphis to Indiana, who has a quality opportunity against Rutgers, who the metrics are bad, so it's possible that if you lose to Rutgers at home, it actually really hurts you because that's a quad two loss. Uh, Actually, frankly, even depending on how Rutgers closes their season, that might end up being a quad three loss if you're really unlucky, uh, if you're Indiana, and that would really damage their resume. But assuming Rutgers keeps playing the way they've been playing, they'll stay quad two at home, uh, and that win will be not necessarily guaranteeing Indiana a spot, and it's really not gonna, but... Uh, they can still win at Purdue, which, I mean, if after all these years of basically never beating Purdue, Indiana were to sweep them in the season series of probably Purdue's best season, maybe ever, uh, at least in recent memory, that would be insane. I don't think it's going to happen. Don't count on it happening. But if it does, Indiana might put together a good enough late season resume uh, that they might actually just get in off of that alone no matter what they do in the Big Ten tournament. But the Big Ten tournament is also really important for these teams because the neutral site games are just as easy, in my opinion, to win. Uh, and, well, they're they're easier than the, than the away games, but you get a little more leeway in the net in terms of who you can beat. 
I think Indiana turns from quad two at home to quad one neutral. So that's just one example of a team that I can think of. Rutgers doesn't, but there are plenty of teams like that. Michigan and Iowa are on the border of that being the situation for them. So when you consider that, the neutral court games are really important, and the Big Ten tournament has a lot of opportunities that might be top 50 when we get to the end of the season. So uh, Indiana will definitely have more in the tournament too, but in terms of the regular season, if they get that win at Purdue, that'd be huge for them. That would probably cement them as a tournament team. Uh, But the win against Rutgers would already do them a lot of good work, but let's move on from that. San Diego State can solidify their resume with a win at Wyoming and then three others to win to end the season. Uh, they can't afford to slip up against any of their three other opponents, though, which that would pretty much seal their fate as a non-tournament team. But if they do get that win at Wyoming, that's a quad one win to add to their resume. I believe San Diego State only has quad one losses on the resume. They lost to USC, non-conference on a neutral court. They lost to Michigan on the road, uh, and then they lost to Boise State on the road, and they've lost to pretty much only the top teams in the Mountain West who are all pretty much top 30, and even at home, those losses would be quad one. Uh, SMU plays at Houston to solidify their resume. Uh, the rest of their games, pretty average. They can't really improve that much with them. Oregon just beat UCLA. They play USC, Washington, and Washington State to close out the season. If they're able to win out, I think they actually make the tournament without even needing to do that much in the Pac-12 tournament, as long as they avoid a major, bad, a really bad loss. Uh, but then you have BYU, who looks to the conference tournament for help because they only play Pepperdine, very similar to, U- to San Francisco, pretty much the exact same situation, but flip the teams. Uh, Dayton will be in the tournament if they win out because they play a tough game against Davidson uh, and also a game against Richmond. Uh, St. Bonaventure plays at VCU with another opportunity to move closer to the tournament field. They already have a 20-point win over VCU. That's really the only thing holding their resume above them uh, right now. But if they were to beat them on the road and complete the season sweep, that would be probably enough to get them on the knocking on the door of the tournament. Uh, the committee would have to think about putting them in. I don't think they would necessarily, but uh, maybe with some other theatrics that they could pull off in the A-10 tournament, maybe a win over Davidson might do the trick. Let's move on from that. Virginia. Nothing important left. Need to avoid a major slip-up and then hopefully pull together some wins in the ACC tournament. They probably have to beat, I don't know, maybe some combination of North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and maybe someone else. Maybe just North Carolina and Wake Forest or Notre Dame and Wake Forest, something like that. Uh, If they have an opportunity to beat Duke and they're able to do that, that would be even better, obviously. But I'm not really expecting any team in the ACC to beat Duke because I'm frankly confused how they even lost a single game in the conference this year. Then... Finally, the last two, you have VCU playing St. Bonaventure, as I already mentioned. Then a really big game at St. Louis, who at one point was on the bubble ahead of all the other A-10 teams, uh, including St. Bonaventure and VCU. Uh, That game against St. Louis is going to be really, really tough. St. Louis can really work their way back onto the bubble with that win. uh, And if they win out, and then all of a sudden, now you're looking at VCU and St. Bonaventure not really being a part of that picture. And then finally, Florida can get a decent win at Vandy. And then a really big win against Kentucky at home. If they lose to Georgia, consider the season over. Uh, but if they're able to win at Vanderbilt, they get probably a borderline quad one, quad two win. And then against Kentucky would be a very, very good resume builder. But they are really, really close to being out of the tournament picture entirely. So they really need to win out. All right, that ends our look back at college basketball for the week. It also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 28th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly deep dive into the NBA. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including those weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and an updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which is posted on Saturdays. 
and as article predicting the regular season champions of every conference in college basketball. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.